Welcome to Women Who Startup Radio. This is the official Women Who Startup podcast, recorded right here in Denver at the tech studio inside the Cable Center. Season three is all about fundraising, and I'm officially coining this season as Show Us the Money. I'm your host, Lazelle Van Buren, the founder and CEO of Women Who Startup and Effectively Labs. Hey everyone, this is Lizelle. Welcome to another episode of Women Who Startup Radio. With us in this episode is Andrea Gwindelman, the co-founder and CEO of Be Visible. We are also joined by my fearless co-host, Krista Morgan, the co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. Let's get to it. Hey, let's give a big thank you to the following sponsor. Maria Popo is the founder and CEO of MediaAmp at the Cable Center. Hi, I'm Maria Popo. I'm founder of MediaAmp at the Cable Center. MediaAmp at TCC is a co-working and innovation center on the beautiful Cable Center campus right next to the University of Denver. You can learn more about MediaAmp at the Cable Center at MediaAmpTCC.com. So we finally have our amazing guest, Andrea Gwendelman, in the studio with us. What is up, Andrea? Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Andrea, if you would, tell our listeners your name and your title. Uh, I'm Andrea Gwendelman, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Be Visible Latinx. Amazing. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being our first incredible guest for season three of Women Who Startup Radio. Let's get this party started with a rapid fire with Andrea. First question, where were you born? Oakland, California. Okay. As a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? An actress. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Me too. But I think I'm already achieving that goal. (laughs) CEO is like acting. What is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? I meditate. Best daily ritual that you live by? Exercise or hiking in the in the in nature. Song that gets you through any bad day. Vivir la vida. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'm gonna have to play that later. What's your favorite brand right now? Be visible. <laughs> Boom. Best book you've recently read or listened to. Um. Um, reading uh, a lot of self-help stuff. So I think I'm going <laughs> to go there. Um, I'm reading one uh, called Motivation. Wonderful. I don't know who is the author, but it's a New York Times bestseller. Okay, wonderful. And finally, what is your life motto or mantra? Work on yourself, improve. Wonderful. All right. That's the rapid fire. I love these rapid fire questions. I feel like I just learned all this stuff about it. Am I right? It's a really fun way to get things going. So let's dive right into the interview. I have my incredible co-host here with me, Krista Morgan. Krista, let's dive into having this wonderful guest in our presence in the tech studio here, Andrea Gwendolyn. Andrea, if for a lot of our listeners who just are not as lucky as us to know you yet, Tell us a little bit about um, who you are, um, about where you're from a little bit, and then kind of a very, very, very brief highlight reel about your career and how you got to this point in time. Like, let us get to know you a little bit. Well, so I I was born in Oakland, California, because my father was doing his PhD, but we went back to Chile. 
I, I was raised in Chile. Um, I come from a family uh, of immigrants. Um, my father was second generation, but my mother immigrated from Romania to, to Chile. And we're Jewish. And so it was always kind of um, a little bit weird um, because you were part of the society and not part of the society. Um, but I, uh, and, and I knew when I wanted to leave Chile uh, very early on, I felt it was a very small place and I was confined to this Jewish community and I tried to expand and there were very few kind of um, outlets to expand. Uh, I could only hang out basically with the kids of exiles. That was like, <laughs> like so those are they were like, they were non-religious and they didn't care if I was Jewish or not. But anyway, so I, and I thought it was a very chauvinistic society, hierarchical society. And, um, and I was destined to get married and have kids and I just wanted to leave. And I, the first chance I had, I, I left. Uh, my father died when I was very young, mm -hmm. was 18. He was an, he's inherited a family business. So my grandfather had been an entrepreneur and it was a well-to-do family, I would say. But then my father basically was very risk averse. He was a professional and he was an engineer and he just kept the business, you know, going well, but he never grew it. He was so scared of, mm. of taking risks. I remember that very well. And, um, and so uh, fast forward, I moved to the United States and I decided I was never going to go back to Chile um, because the few times I went back, I, I could get the flavor of like getting stuck again. And I didn't know exactly, you know, so I came to Harvard Law School. So um, that was obviously a great entrance into a professional world. So I think I came with this advantage. Now, I did get into Harvard Law School because I was number fifth in my graduating class in, in Chile. And because I was smart enough to network with some people that had gone to Harvard Law School from Chile. So I tried to figure out what they have done to get <laughs> in. And, and I did the same. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I didn't want to be a lawyer. Uh, so my first job out of law school was um, in a non-for-profit in Washington, D.C., working, so it was called the Center for the Advancement of Hispanics in Science and Engineering Education. And we brought like uh, engineering students from Hispanic serving institutions to Washington to give them training. Uh, it was very interesting, but I felt, I saw how all my classmates were making tons of money and I was like barely surviving. So I decided to take the bar and I got a job in New York um, doing work with Latin America. And what I really liked about that job um, was not the legal part. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very boring, the drafting the documents, but it was the time of the bubble. It was 2000, 2000. And so the partners were at capacity. Senior associates were at capacity. And so I was running the deals. Like I didn't have a senior associate to, to report to. I didn't have a partner to report. So I was running the entire deal. Oh. with the hiring the lawyers in Chile, coordinating with the clients, the clients love me. And I just realized that I like the business part of it. And so I, that was my career as a lawyer, worked many, uh, five years in New York, and then I had a child and I decided to take a more, um, a more relaxed job. So I took a job at, in Washington, D.C. at the Export-Import Bank, um, also traveling, doing the same type of work from nine to five. Mm. And in that job, I, I didn't have the thrill of, you know, running a deal. And I just thought it was really boring and I started getting bored. And, but at that time they transferred my husband to New Mexico. Also he, he got his first job as a law professor and we took a 70% salary cut because basically he, he made a third of the salary, not, not a third, a fourth of the salary. And I had to quit my job. 
So we moved, but I was very happy to support him because it was his dream and he had a dream. And I was like, let's go for the dream. And uh, we got there, I had to take the bar and I got a job working municipal financing, really boring. And, um, and then he got this job in uh, CU Boulder. And when we moved here, I said, I'm going to try something creative. I was itching and I was searching and I was so unhappy because everyone, when you're a lawyer, uh, they, uh, they think you're successful just because you're a lawyer. And so everybody's like, but I was, I felt like a failure. Uh, I really felt like a failure, failure. So when we moved here, I started looking into something creative and it took me a while a while to find what was what was it. And what was it? So at the beginning, I, I went to a film school. I Sweet. took like film classes. I went to New York and took an editing class. Nice. And when I was taking a vacation in Chile, my cousin who was working for El Mercurio, which is a paper in Chile, a bit, the largest paper, he said, well, you know, Mercurio hired me because they're expanding and then they want to do events. And, you know, media companies know the events. And, you know, I'm supposed to bring these new events, but uh, it's so crowded, the music market, like it was booming, Chile was booming, so a lot of people were bringing musicians. So he said, what else do you think we could do? And I said, well, you know, I just moved to Boulder and I have this, all these friends that are 10 years younger than me, and they're all inviting me to these entrepreneurial events, and <laughs> they seem to be, that they think this is fun. <laughs> so I, I'm like, I think we should do one of those. And he didn't understand what I was talking about. I sent him a video. He didn't understand anything. It was I was like, no, it's very nerdy. Like you go there and like you like <laughs> someone pitches, but then you have drinks and there's some music. It's very weird. But I bet you this is going to pick up here because it's just. And so he went to sell a music concert to Virgin Mobile, who was selling shop in Chile. And Virgin said, no, we're in the entrepreneurial line. And he showed them the video and they're like, he said, yes. And they bought the con- the the the. the they bought the concept, the concept for $200,000. Wow. So that was our first client. And like we said, okay, let's go. And we just partnered here with some people in Boulder, with Alex Boguski and other people that I have met socially. And we ended up bringing Al Gore and we ended up bringing the Vendra Banhar and the Vodka. We ended up raising a million dollars. We ended up having 10,000 people in this event. It was like a huge success. Uh, in six months, and it was my first entrepreneur. And I said, okay, so obviously I can do, I can create whatever the fuck I want to create. That's like right. I, it was a huge realization. Wow. Because I was like, I can create whatever. Yeah. Um, and that was really, my cousin was a huge kind of reason for that. Because I don't think if I've had a guy telling me, hey, we can get Al Gore. I'm like, are you crazy? How can we get Al Gore? <laughs> it's like, yes, we should ask them. They know him. I'm like, I'm not going to ask that. And why not? They can say no. And I'm like, no, but but just ask them. So we asked them and they said, well, maybe. I was like, wow. And then like, why don't you ask the Vendra Van? You know, people that know the Vendra Van Hart. I'm like, it was all like that. Like, why not? Why not? And why not? Why not? Why not? We got to this huge thing. Wow. But without a plan for me, it was that event. I knew already that, um, I wanted to create a technology platform mm. because I had done all this effort and gotten all these people together. And I, I was like, this is going to be lost. And so anyway, long story short, and Mercurio wanted to partner, no partner. They wanted to hire me. I mm. wanted to partner because mm. this, they have underwritten the thing. They had taken the financial risk. I had created the concept, but they didn't want to be my partner. Mm. They wanted to hire me as an employee. And I said, no. Wow. And I said, no. 
And my then my cousin left. He went, and now this event is actually in all Latin America. It's huge. Wow. It's like, it's in Peru, in Argentina, it's huge, huge all over. Wow. But I got, I got out of it because, I mean, Chile wasn't interesting to me. I was disappointed by the way the Mercurio treated me and disappointed by how, again, they didn't see me as I could do this. Um, and I said, I'm going to try something here. And I did a women's event. I partnered with someone that was doing this. They were doing this startup phenomenon event with Brad Fell and others. And I said, why don't we do a... This was in 2013 when no mm -hmm. one was talking about women really... I was. Not you, but but you know, very, <laughs> but very few people were like... Yeah, sort and of that a, was a very new event, by the way. Startup, yeah. Startup phenomenon. Yeah, and, very, very new event. So I said, why don't we do a women's version before? So in three months, we put together this event again. A thousand people came. We raised a hundred thousand dollars in three months. And again, I'm like, okay, Andrea, when you say you're going to do something, you do it. It happens. It's like, now I have to do something for myself. All these things were sort of underwritten by other people. I brought the sponsors and I brought the money, but I didn't take the financial risk. Mm -hmm. So then my next thing was like, I'm going to do something. I'm going to take the financial risk. Mm -hmm. With the money I have made with Startup Phenomenon Women, I had made $20,000 in commission. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm going to put that into. And my next project was, okay, that's a problem with women. I heard all these women talk, but I think this comes from early on. So I got into developing toys for girls to get in technology. That's right. That's yeah. where I That's where I got to know you, yeah. Andrea. That's that was develop her. Yes. Exactly. And I partnered with NC Weed on that. And Lucy Lucy opened, opened doors to me. And I can say that Wonderful. the first two people opened doors for me in Boulder. And I want to mention that always. Uh, one is uh, David Cohen who is the, um, co uh, the CEO co and co-founder of Techstars. And I brought him to Chile for my first event. So he realized what I was capable of doing and he saw it first, firsthand. And since then, he's always been a supporter. Um, but also, you know, and the other one that really opened doors uh, was Lucy Sanders. And um, I will, and then I think I, you know, I provided value to her throughout the years and I don't feel, but I think she was incredibly at op incredible at opening doors. Wonderful. Um, and so after that, I did that event. And again, I, get, I did this concept, but I wasn't super in love with it. And I didn't think it was a, it, it didn't have a business model and it was a non-for-profit. And I'm like, I didn't want to continue with it. So I, I did it a year and that's it. I stopped it. And I felt very guilty. Mm. But at the same time, I, um, when I started consulting for NC Wit, and I told them, look, you guys have, at this incredible organization, but you're not reaching Latinas. And, and that that's a it. huge part of it. So I created a, a concept called Tecnolochicas for them. I mean, the name was brought later, but I came up with the power presentation. Lucy, you have to do this. We have to do a media campaign. Now now they work with Televisa Foundation. It's all over New Univision. And it's exactly what we... But so we. So I was a consultant. I did that. And at the same time, I was creating Be Visible. As I was doing that event and understanding the Latina market, I was creating Be Visible in my head, the brand, the everything. And, and, and basically, one of, the few, one of the people that I brainstormed with Be Visible at the beginning was Isaac Saldana, mm -hmm. who is the founder of SendGrid, mm -hmm. who is Latino. And the two founders of SendGrid are Latinos, but they're not involved with the company anymore. Right. Um, and so we brainstormed uh, and well, that, that, that's how it came to be. And this is what I do now. And now I'm also, cons you know, I, 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 I work with other organizations as a consultant and stuff like that. But so when exactly uh, did you found 
be visible Latinx. When you incorporated it? Uh, yes. When was it official? Official was, I think, January 2015. Yeah. So just a couple of years ago. Yeah. Right. It became a reality. Yes. So tell us what it actually is. Give us a, a short description, please. So it has evolved. You know, it's not what, and it's not, I'm not sure what is it going, what is going to be. And I don't think investors like to hear this, but it is a little bit true. But it's, you know, it started as a, this concept that there was a huge pool of talent that was underlooked. And uh, because I had lived in Mexico, I kind of understood that they operated in silos, they stayed with the families. And so you had to go look for them and attract them in a different way. And anything, everything that was in the internet at the time for this population was not very well done, cheesy. So um, I wanted to create something really good and a brand and sort of something that would excite people. And uh, to get hired. So to be part of this community, to mm. be attracted to this community, mm. and then for employers to come look for them here and there. So like they expand their, expand their opportunities by, you know, being exposed to more, more opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, expand their network, yeah. you know, teach them how to like kind of to network uh, or provide them a space where they will feel comfortable networking. Right. And this was before we knew that only 18% of Latinos are in LinkedIn. So I didn't have those statistics where, and people, investors would ask me, so how do you know they're not in LinkedIn? I'm like, I know, but then there were studies that show, and, but not when I launched. So one of the first lessons I would think is that sometimes you have to throw yourself into the mud and you really don't know where you, you know, that you're going to, to get something good until you start doing it. You, you, you know that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think, uh, so it has evolved. So we started very hippie. It was very hippie. It was like this community, <laughs> social change, this and that, you know. Yes, there will be jobs at some point, but it was all about like empowerment and social change. And and now that we have almost 10,000 users, you know, we 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 are now like launching the, the as again, the interface, post jobs to bring the employers. And we're looking at this much, much broader that this could be the platform for Latinos that will incorporate also all the products that are being built by and for Latinos. Mm. And they have to be plugged in somewhere, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and this could be it and being a, a bigger a bigger platform. So we are the platform that is centered around jobs and opportunities, but it's not the only thing. Right. So are you a technology company? Yes. Great, because you have literally from scratch built your yes. platform, correct? Yes. Okay. Let's just dive right into how you've gotten here from a financial and strategic standpoint. So when you launched back in 2015, right? We didn't launch. Well, well we, la we launched later in 2015. Okay. We actually, our official, official launch was in April 2016 mm. at the University of California, Cal State LA. Do you have a, what is your business model? So uh, we have a SaaS. The business model will be a subscription uh, pay by depends on the how many jobs you want to post and how many how many people you want to get receive sourcing. Basically, you we will source you candidates. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's the initial part of the of the business model is a subscription uh, based on. So the members pay or the companies the pay companies, or both? No oh, members. So companies pay. Yes. The users never pay. At, you know, eventually there will be we could offer, you know, some sort of premium things and services. But right now, no, they don't pay anything. Wonderful. 
So when you launched towards the end of 2016, did you have any money in the bank? No. So when we, so we, no, so, so, okay. So when we incorporated 2015, I started fundraising that day or even a little bit before. Okay. So I started fundraising with family and friends. Okay. And I went to Chile and I talked to everyone and they said, yes. What did did you raise? I raised about $70,000. Hey, that's great. uh, You know, from 10 here, 10 here, 10 here, 15 here. That's a big uh, deal. Sometimes I raised a couple of times from the same people, like <laughs> a couple of months later, they were like, okay, I'll give you 10, but then they gave me 10 more, you know? Right. Uh, so it, you start with what you have. I was lucky that I had family. Okay, so you start with, let's acknowledge that. I had family and friends that had funds to give me. Not everyone is lucky that to have that. But you were smart enough to, to approach those folks and, and yes. they, they trusted you? Well, I you. came from a family of entrepreneurs. My, yeah. my grandfather was an entrepreneur and all these people that I find raised were my father's side, mm. the Wendelmans. They're all entrepreneurs. Mm. So the Wendelman part of this family, they're all entrepreneurs. They have all created their own businesses. So of they course they it. understood that I was... My mother's side, no, there's no one to fundraise from there. Like, you know, no. it was different. It's yeah. different. Sure. From my husband's side, I wouldn't talk. The parents think I'm crazy, basically. <laughs> that I'm like the worst, you know, because you have to understand what. And they have all like studied at Berkeley. So they have understood the Silicon Valley phenomena. I mean, you have to have a little bit of exposure to what it, what can be. So then, then my brother introduced me to a bunch of his friends. I mean, I know them from childhood. But he's the one that sometimes you need some a guide to like sort of like in the in this world. Sometimes you you you, you know my brother's like oh he asked all his friends to for this opportunity and six of them put money and some of them referred me to friends of of them that I didn't even know. Yeah, the power of power yes, of your networks yes. and the networks networks and some and I will receive at the beginning. I remember I received a couple of times like hey my friend who is an accountant wants to invest and I'm like okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, didn't happen to me that often and didn't happen to me again. But I was like, I can't believe this. Okay. And so at that point, when you raised that 70 or so thousand dollars from friends, family and fools, <laughs> as we know. Yeah. Um, was it at a concept stage? Very concept. Right. It just was an idea. Pitch deck. That's, pitch right. Deck. that's right. That's right. Yes. So that's amazing. So that was the end of 2016 going no, into no, no. 2017? No, so this was 2015 when I raised that money. I see. So then we started building the technology. Right. Then we started be- with that money. Into 2016. I also bought money from my, so yep. a couple of things. I put money from my, so Sylvia had, uh, my co-founder had built some of the technology at the beginning. So she had invested some money at the beginning too. I put some of my money from my, yeah, I took money. 401k, retire, retire. I mean, one of the accounts let me do that. And this was the time that I took all the money from the New Mexico job. Because I figured, you know, I had worked in that thankless job. I didn't love. And, you know, for I should use that money for something that I wasn't. So, I, you know, I didn't even ask my husband. I just, this is going to be, you know, what I'm going to put in my business. I, I did that job so that we could live. But I saved, this was the time of the, the market was really down. So I had put 20000 that had multiplied to be 80000 So I had $20,000, $80,000 to invest. Great. In the company. So I put that money. And then, so with that money, with that and what we raised from, uh, from family and friends, we built the whole technology, the, you know, everything that we that we build. And then we got a couple of other investors. Right. And we can talk about that later. I don't know how you want yeah, to talk lead, about Yeah, lead me into so, your fundraising trajectory. So basically, family and friends. And then 
I started talking to people, angels, angels, like people that, that, that kind of were in the network. So one of the things I started doing, um, I started writing these articles. So another person that helped me tremendously, uh, her name is Denise Rastauri. Who? Denise Rastauri, okay. an Italian. So okay. the Italians, another one, amazing group. Um, so she was right. She's a Forbes contributor. And I had proposed to her, let's do this self-made uh, women series. So this was when we were launching Bivisible. So in the self-made women series, we interview all these women that had become really wealthy, just doing it themselves. And uh, some of them became my investors because they heard, you know, what I was doing and they liked it. And, and so I got a couple of really high-profile investors that way, uh, Latinas, in finance, not in the tech world, but in finance or, you know, so two of them have family offices. So they know how to, I mean, and they took a little risk. I mean, it wasn't a big amount of money for them. Right. I also, for me, it was very important that no one invested a huge amount of money because I was very, I knew that it was so risky what I was doing. Mm. And I wanted to get the money from people that didn't care about losing it. Right. I mean, they were expecting a return for sure, but they would not hate me. And everybody that invested in this, that round is a $250,000 round that closed, basically. Everyone that invested knows and has been extremely flexible. We have extended the note three times. We, we will keep in, you know, extend. I mean, they're, they're investors that know that this takes time. They are not going to pressure. I mean, it's very important at the beginning you go to, to bed with the right people, I think. Gives you a huge level of, you know? Yeah, confidence from working with professionals. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but family and friends is a different ball game than actually working with professional investors that do it time and time again. And it's literally their profession. I think uh, you're so right. There's a huge difference in, in the expectations. It's not like your friend or neighbor investing in yeah. you. Right? But all these friends that invested, I, again, they were very, they're very understanding that this is a process, a long process. Good. And they're all... They got it. Yeah. You know? So, how, so can I just, how, yeah. do you, how do you stay in touch with them? Like, how do you communicate what's going on with the business over time? Do you and, have like a framework? Yeah, you this follow? is very interesting because I don't think I've been very good at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, most of us aren't. No, always. so I have I have no framework. I just tell them what's going on. I basically, I mean, I inform, for example, the group in Chile, there's six of them, but really no one wants to know. Like, they're like, I try to do conference calls and I'm like, no. <laughs> so I have one that knows, and that one informs the rest. Got it. He's convinced. He thinks it's good. He tells everyone, we're all good. I love it. You know, the other investors here, I have a couple, of, again, this family office. They're like, great, Andrea, keep going. I mean, they want me to, like, succeed. to succeed, but they're like, I think you're going the right track. But they also, like, ask me to have an advisory call meeting. I mean, but they're not. They're, they understand that I'm trying to build something that hasn't been built and has been difficult. And um, again, so I keep them posted one-on-one. -on -one. I tell them, I ask them questions, but I don't bother the ones that don't want to be, some of them don't want to be bothered. Right. So you you mentioned that you you recently started working with, let's call them more professional, like angel investors. Um, is that correct? So now- Only angels, right? No, you're, so, you're not so we finished the, the this little, this $250,000 round, mm -hmm. and now we're raising a 2 million round. That's right. So when that, did that kick off? So this was like a month, like a month ago. Wonderful. Yes. Wonderful. So, and it started really with the, the last investor in the $250,000 was Backstage Capital. That's right. 
And so that kind of like elevated a little bit the notch of the who's investing, right? So before there were like these amazing angels, but they were still like a person, not a company. Backstage came as, a, as an angel, but as a company and, and sort of like a company that bets a ton of deals and, and sort of we're one of them. And it was very interesting because uh, with Backstage and, and Ireland, she's amazing. Um, you know, I, I never really asked her for money and it was all very natural. So it was kind of like a family and friend type, but, but really kind of like uh, moved us a little bit up. And wait, I, wait, wait. So you never asked no. at Backstage Capital for money? How, no. tell, tell us how that went down. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I told her about us. Right. So she knew about us. And right. then we met when she came to Colorado. Nice. And she said, you know, we're raising this fund and I would like to have you as a portfolio company. Brilliant. And I said, great. And this was like seven months ago. Brilliant. But I didn't know when she was going to raise the fund. I had no idea. Yeah. And so then she calls me one day. She said, I have raised the fund and you're in. Yeah. And so I, it wasn't, Wonderful. you know, it was very, 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 very organic. organic. Um, I wasn't expecting and I, you know, I was very pleasantly surprised and very, 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 very thankful. So after that, people, I, I made, I made use of that opportunity and I did a lot of press. I tried to, to publicize it and I started getting approached by larger investors. So now we're working with a lead investor in, um, in Los Angeles mm -hmm. is a, is a technology firm that has a VC arm that we already have a term sheet with. And they would provide two hundred thousand dollars, two to three hundred thousand dollars of the of the technology build up, mm -hmm. uh, and they're helping us syndicate our two million dollar round. Wonderful. And one of the things we're trying to to go is to the Rockies venture, which is very interesting because we started looking who is in, in the Rockies venture, who is in the board, and there's like only three women. So it's just interesting. I mean, I, I want to, when, when I, I mean, so we're trying to scratch a new, a new group, right? And it's a very kind of wide and they're very focused on revenue. I understand they're, they're going to be, so we're now like going to the angel groups. That's what I'm trying to say. Like this, so we're starting with where I live, right? That's it's right. like, you know, you should go, we should tackle where you live. But these angel groups are not about the concept anymore. They're not about like what, you know, we're changing the world and the vision and the mission. They're like, what is your growth? What is your engagement rate? How are you going to make money? And what is going to be my return on the investment? And that's it. So changing the conversation from like the vision and the mission and this huge thing that I have and vision, which is also what makes me attractive. That's right. To a conversation that is very perfunctionary, is very difficult for someone like me doing a startup like what I'm doing. I hear you, sister. Yes. God knows I hear you. See, so I think that's a huge challenge because at the same time, you want you want to become business savvy and give confidence to investors. But at the same time, you need to maintain your mystique and your vision because it's the vision and the very big vision, the one that will take you to win. Otherwise, if you stay like this, I'm a recruiting company, I'm just like firing 50,000 out recruit. It, it just is not what it's not know, exciting it's, but it's not exciting for you. me and I have to like make you have to feel inspired exactly. I have to feel inspired and I have to like visualize this as huge and I do and I started in, in, but I, that's why I wanted to as soon as I start visualize so this okay let me get into something that really 
that was my plateau of my fundraising. I, fundraising was very hard. So, because at the beginning, I had this vision, right? Mm-hmm. That I was bringing all these Latinos and I was giving them visibility and I was selling this and this would be a business. That's why I was able to raise $200,000. But then I achieved that in a way. Like I had the platform, the, the interactions were occurring. It's true that the business part wasn't like done, but that was kind of like, ah, that we'll do that later. My vision was like, I was going to do this, right? So I, I achieved my vision and I was like, wow, it's, it's, I got stuck for a while mm. because my vision had been achieved and I didn't like, I, ha, I, I, ha, I, I couldn't jump to a le- next level. Interesting. It took me many months, but many, many, many months to jump to my next level. So do you feel like the interactions you've had with the investors, like answering what feels like, call it like pedantic questions of what's your revenue, what's your growth strategy? Do you think that's helping you overcome the plateau and get to the next level? That's a very good question. And I think some of the the investors and the questions that were asking me, especially because I did Boomtown and it was Colorado investors that were non-media investors, I think got me really depressed because they were asking me for revenues and they were asking me all these things that I didn't have, but what I had, the vision, the mission, the the dream, they were not interested at all, right? So for, for a little bit that like, oh my God. Uh, and so then I started changing tracks. I have to focus on the generating revenue and that got me distracted from growing the platform and, you know, trying to please the investors, but I wasn't getting investors. So that was a huge confusing thing. When I got back to building the community, building the community, uh, and then kind of like what comes next, I got inspired again. Now it's okay to talk about revenue because first of all, I have a plan. (laughs) Uh, Well, we got a new CTO, which is amazing uh, because he's also a developer. and, And so he's doing a lot of stuff. And so we're able to advance with the product a lot. Um, because for a while we didn't have a developer. He, you know, we had a developer and he died. It was terrible and it was expensive to hire developers. And so now we have the technology part already fixed again until we have someone bigger that, you know, comes and sort of, but so now I think I can advance on the product so I can, I'm confident on the product again. For a while I was like, "Eh, this is the product, you know, this is what it does. But I wasn't envisioning where it can go. And I envision it so huge now where it can go. But uh, but but now I'm dreaming again. I'm seeing where it's going. And I incorporate all these other technologies. And I have multiple revenue sources. But I can't go that far with investors because they will not. They, they think I'm, I'm focused. So I have to be very careful with the line. I. But that's what gets me excited in the morning. I'm like, I have this huge thing, you know? <laughs> no, and I, and I, I actually think funny that you say investors don't care about the mission and vision because actually what I think is they do care. They actually wouldn't be talking to you about these questions of growth and revenue and business plan if they didn't see your vision. They just see that as like table stakes. And so we as entrepreneurs, we don't feel that from investors because uh, they aren't asking you. Right. But it is your passion that makes them want to dig in. So ah, okay, it's, at okay. least that's that's been my experience. Because no, maybe that's it. But and I, I think that's and I think that's really true. And so yeah. what you're what you're disclosing, which I, I is extremely valuable, is you're learning by doing. This is not your tenth company that you've been raising angel or venture capital money for, and you got to literally, as you describe, a point of like serious, like almost depression about. I you were stuck and in stagnation and entrepreneurship mode is is well Ooh. that's 
It's very, very, it's deadly on, on many parts. It's, you know, crushing to us as, as entrepreneurs and the vision and our motivation and our focus and all that stuff. But also, like, if you're stuck, then everything is stagnant from that point in time. So, yes. I mean, the beauty of what you're describing is, is you know, what you didn't understand about all these strategic things that entrepre- uh, that your investors were seeking. Like, can you walk me through, you know, your business forecasting and your strategy and what you're going to apply by raising X amount of dollars toward and blah, 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 blah. Like a lot of what Krista has taught me a lot more about than probably anyone else over the years is, you know, knowing your money, knowing your money and knowing your money. Yes. So that's really important. But I find that I managed that really well going through a bottom process and I could talk about that really well, but I didn't have the I didn't have the vision for what was where where were we going? Like, yeah, it was a big thing here. Where's the mountain? So that without that takes you nowhere. That without this takes you nowhere. Great. So you have to, I think you have to have both. And how do you convey that in a way that is not scary to them, that they, they know, they think that you know what you're doing, but at the same time, you're like yeah. extremely visionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the key. I think that another, another, another huge key, and I think I want to talk about this before we, is that you, it, this whole fundraising thing is a, is a self-confidence thing. It's a thing of self-confidence. And basically that all these trial and errors that we're doing, right? All this, how we're selling in, we're selling, that we don't punish ourselves. I mean, we're going to make so many mistakes, but we have to make all those mistakes to be able to raise the money. Because if I don't have 10 conversations and five of them go wrong so that the next five can go better, that means that I will never raise the money. So I think that's a huge thing. It's like learning to like, okay, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to again put myself out there here and not with family and friends and I'm going to and I'm going to I'm going to fix I'm going to fix and I'm not going to like punish myself for all the mistakes I do. So that's huge and that's self-confidence. But the other thing that you have to with self-confidence comes the trust in intuition. So now you're talking to bigger comp- like I'm talking to me bigger angel groups and I meet them by phone and once I just just sign a term sheet, right? And I haven't met them. But how did I decide to go maybe th- that I will go to bed with them. You know, because one of the things is that in two years they can call my note and they can bankrupt me. If they, I mean, I haven't, we haven't signed that, but you know, they're not David Cohen and they're not my friends and family. And they, if they want in two years, according to the terms of the, you know, and I asked him, I said, you know, look, I, I have a relationship with you and that's great, but I haven't met all the other people that, you know, in your company, I want to end up meeting them because you in two years could bankrupt me, you know, and you are not tech stars because Texas will never do that because they have a reputation, but I don't know who I'm going to bed with, right? So all these things, and you have to, but you have to, at some point, you have to make a leap of faith. And he said, and the answer to from my investor was like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> this could happen. Yeah. I don't, we will not do it because that's not how we're doing business. But yes, theoretically, you it could happen. But you know what, Andrea, he said? Until now, everybody has given you $25,000 maximum. We're giving you 300000 you're going to have to take some chances. And I'm like, yes, I totally get it. You know, so yeah. I think that, you yeah, know, that's amazing. Yeah. so I think you have to, at, at some point, just take the risk. And well, I think too, it's really impressive that you even had that conversation. And I do think, and I, I find that now the more sophisticated investors, the more honest conversations I do have, like, well, you're asking for this term and this is this could be really harmful for me, but it actually, to your point about self-confidence, 
shows that you have that self-confidence to even say, I'm not sure about this and this scares me without worrying it's going to blow up the deal, right? Because I think a lot of us are afraid of having tough conversations with investors or potential investors because we're worried it's going to like scare them off when actually you need to have those conversations. Otherwise, you can't. But I think at the, at the end, the relationship with an investor is a relationship with a human being. Agreed. And Agreed. the human being... Not everyone yes, understands and, that. And though. this relationship is the one that can take you... And is, if it's a good relationship and you get to be close, right? And if you get to know each other, respect each other, trust each other, well, you can take yourself very far. But if it's a transactional relationship, as in anything in life, it won't take you anywhere. So... Well, I want an investor that is in a transaction. That's why he's investing this amount of money, right, in my company. So he sees the potential of the money they can make. At the same time, I want an investor that gets to know me uh, as a person. I get to know the whole team because we're going to be working together and we can help or destroy each other. In other words, I can help his reputation and he can help me build, you know, my company. So I think it's... But you have to go with your guts at this point because it's just really, these are human beings. We're, we're talking about human beings here. Kristen Morgan is the co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. All companies have a life cycle. Early stage, you're going to raise money from friends and family. You can get small business loans. And then as you get later stage, you're going to go to a bank. But there's this really big gap in the middle where your business is growing and you need a lot of capital. That's the market that we're going after. We're bridging companies from being a small business to being a bankable company that is consistently profitable. We'd like to thank PDBI for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Krista's company at pdbi.com. And I love this. Let me let me let me add a quick note here because here's the beauty of you know Andrea and I are a little bit more similar and and high 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 not not that you're not uh, hang on Krista hang on hang on you haven't even she's offended just, me yet no 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 I never offend you wow um, more experienced with in investing whether from angels and now you know really re- probably reaping into the the VC uh, category but. One of the most interesting things as we kicking off season three that Krista explicitly, you know, it was unique, you know, a couple of weeks ago mentioned when we were kicking off this season was the fact that some investors are certainly those people in your corner that you get to know and you have intrinsic relationships with and they know you and you know them and, and it enriches over time. Others are, quite frankly, transactional. And this comes with experience. Now, the interesting thing is, is what we can add is, you know, your and my experience is a, a little bit different. Everyone in this room's experience is different. Every entrepreneur and every investor has unique sets of experience. What I love is, is when we start collectively sharing a lot of these journeys of fundraising and entrepreneurship, we start to really see every entrepreneur thinks about human relationships different. Even for you, a relationship with an investor is a big deal. There needs to be a human connection and you want to connect on a human level and it's not just about taking your money. And, and Because I think, we're still very small. So sure. they don't buy into a vision. And sure. what a, So this investor, particular investor, is Latino. His company is not Latino, but he's Latino. So he understands, okay, he is an investor. And right. He is about making money for his company. Right. But the reason he's even talking to me to be honest, is because he cares about what I'm doing and the yeah. product I'm building. Right. So um, 
I'm still at that stage. I have, you know, if I wasn't at that stage, I would be talking to venture capital firms that would just want a return of 10x on the blah, blah, blah. You know, th- there would be no conversation. And that's my point about, you know, when you start to talk to entrepreneurs that have been fundraising, for, you know, like Krista Morgan has been fundraising literally for four years, is like <laughs> almost as long as I've known her. And when you start to speak to entrepreneurs that have been fundraising so long and they're really digging deep and they're raising money and, and she's about to set out to, to do it again, you start to understand that if you have a large cap table of investors, some are transactional, some are definitely more on a on a on a even a friendship level. They believe in you, they care about your families, they care about your dogs, they check in more often, and there's everyone in between those two pools of people. And and I think when we mature as entrepreneurs, when we are more and more experienced with fundraising we start to get that because I think early on, we really set out to find all these extraordinary people. And, and, I, and I, I'm talking much the same about, you know, wanting great people that I believe in and that I would be honored to work with. And Well, but it has to be like this because you're experimenting at the beginning. So you need to have people that allow you to experiment because otherwise you won't get to your product. Yeah. And you know how a product is not what you, you know? Totally. So, I mean, depends on what you're doing. If you're doing something very straightforward. No, I this, think it's true. If yeah, this yeah. is your third company and you know exactly what you're doing because it's an iteration of the two yeah then yeah but we're not doing that we're doing something right. new so but i i do think that it's all about uh that it has a lot to do with self-confidence that it has a lot to do with like not punishing yourself for the mistakes that you're going to make fundraising that you know that not that you have to knock on many doors to get many no's to get a yes and that Everyone that can give you feedback is a huge contribution. Mm. Because, I mean, I, the worst part is when you have an investor that says no and doesn't say why. Mm. When they say no and say why, and they give you like a very, I, I, I am always super thankful. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I always like already like thankful because I know what to do for the next one. Yeah. I also think though that, um, you know, it's about, I mean, some people believe in you and some people don't. Mm-hmm. And, and let's be honest with that. I mean, not everybody's going to believe in you and it's very frustrating and you feel, and then let's talk about realistic that, that, you know, we, and I don't like to focus on this because it doesn't be, give me any, any, anything positive, but I want to say that just acknowledge that we're women and that, um, that we're not part of the Toby's club, you know, and that that's a huge disadvantage but maybe if we're smart enough to associate with people that can open those networks in other words let's not be shameful and let's not uh, because of pride because I will do it alone not associate with men right any man that will be willing to help you open doors uh, many of them don't want and they open a little door and you know even though they could do open much much bigger doors but but you know we take what we take what we get. You know, women right now, I think we st- we have to acknowledge, still we have to acknowledge that we're still taking what we can get. So let's not fool ourselves. And uh, there's, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, we are taught to dream big and we tell this to our children, there's no limit to your dreams. But there are, you know, there's an article to in Slate Magazine, the double, ma- double bind. Yes, we are um, affected, you know, by the circumstances. And let's not focus on that because there's nothing we can do. But at the same time, like, don't punish yourself so much because a lot of it really has is out, outside of your control. It's how society perceives you and 
you know, what, so how do you walk around that and like end up like breaking, instead of breaking the glass, how do you walk around the door and enter to a, <laughs> so I've changed my approach because before I was like, I'm going to bang on this door until the door breaks and I will break that door and I will pass through that door and that's how I will win. And I'm like, no, mm. this is not going to take me where I go, want to go. I'm going to walk around quiet, calm, you know? Not that I'm not going to make notes, but I just, I want to conserve my energy. I'm talking about energy. That's another thing. Do not, in this fundraising process, get rid of anyone and everything that brings your energy down or affects, you know, your energy or puts a barrier, uh, a barrier to your success and, and your energy to, um, because that's a huge thing. Because when you have to fight personal battles uh, at home or anywhere, with people that are negative about what you're doing, uh, that's a huge, you know, it's going to take out all your energy to go fundraising because you have to believe in this so much. It's so tough to expose yourself that if you have like, you've, you're like day in and day out with people that are being negative, it's just not going to help you. That's funny. I've definitely had conversations with my other half of like, we can't, we can't do this right now because I'm fundraising. And like, you know, you're right. I, it is. And, and a lot of people... A lot of other people ask me, they're like, well, how do you fundraise and run your business at the same time? They're like, it's two full-time jobs. And you're like, yes, it is two full-time jobs, which means you then, when you're doing it, you have to get rid of, you know, let's face it, we all have full-time jobs at home too, taking care of the shit we have going on. So that's what gets cut out when you're fundraising. It's just, you're trying to run the business, build product, keep traction going and fundraise. And you're right, you're at your absolute most vulnerable because you're putting yourself out there and a lot of people are going to say no. And I think what you said before is just bang on, right? You can't take it personally and you have to accept like when people would write me emails and like, well, it's because your business doesn't scale. I'm like, yeah, you know what? In the end, it does scale. You don't see it. You don't see this thing, but that's not about me. That's about you. Exactly. And so today I had an email like that of someone and they tell me all these things, how I wasn't, go- you know, like, not that I wasn't, but I have to show this and that. And I answered, you know what? I really thank you for all this feedback because these are our concerns. Great. Yeah. And my answer is, this is a matter of time and money. There's what nothing else, else is like there? <laughs> But I mean, the answer is that, yes, I see all your concerns. And the answer is a matter of a combination of time and money. And there's nothing else I could say. Of course, you don't believe in me. You, you or your team don't believe. That's the answer. It's that they don't believe in you because... You may not look like the last people they invested in, or you, comp- you know. So why don't we just? But let's not fight it because we need that energy for the next thing. So th- let's not get depressed. Let's not get like motherfucker. You don't understand what I'm doing. <laughs> no, f- f- I mean that's no, what Andrea, I-, I think I had literally that same conversation with someone else. It was like you know, it's easy to tell me that women don't build companies that are unicorns. But you also never gave them a chance because you never gave them the five to 10 million bucks in there. Because you know what? If I had just been written a $10 million check in my Series A with no problem, you'd be there. Because I'm in the Valley, I might not be there, but you know what? I would have had a chance. You'd have to be halfway closer. Like there's that dude that just, what? like blew 120 million on a fucking juicer that didn't work. You're telling me that? Like what you're really saying is I believed in that guy, but I didn't believe in you. Fine. But fine, you're right. You can't waste energy on it. But we also can't say these problems that people bring up in the early stages of fundraising, you 
your answer of it's just a matter of time and money is so right. Es que there was nothing and I'm going to use that now. Collectively. There was nothing else to say. No. I mean, right. you yeah. know, it's a matter of time. I think that's wise. I think that's wise. And I, I love that you, you know, you shared that. To me, that's like a lesson. I think anyone listening, you know, to this episode can, if, if, if the one thing you're taking away is, is that combination of wisdom, because a, a lot of what you say, all, all of what you've shared is, is, is wise. Energetically, we only have so much, we only have so much, so much. we only have so much energy. I think, that- I think for me personally, the most demanding thing for me is energy management. It is always not money, not people, not timing, not fucking market, not industry, not the weather, nothing. Nothing affects me more than if I am out of energy. Exactly. And so you learn, right? So, and, and I love I think, that you're sharing that. I think Thank it's you. exactly because I think now I'm so productive on my energy. Like I protect it like gold. It's the, the only thing I have. That's right. It's everything I have. It's the only thing I have. It's me and, and my energy <laughs> and my good, good positive thinking. And that's the only thing I have to, to move this business forward. And I believe in my business a thousand percent. And I believe, and that's because I believe in, because I believe in me now a thousand percent. I've never stopped believing in, in BBC. Well, I had plateaus of like, you know, moments in which I, it was, I was stuck and I didn't know where, you know what? I didn't have those moments that were stuck. Where about like, where was the vision? W- what was next? I didn't understand the next, but once you have the next thing, it's so easy. <laughs> it's just, it will happen for you. It will happen for all of us. When we have the vision of what's next, I have no doubt. The problem is when we have those periods of time where there's no vision of what's next, because you have achieved certain milestone and what you thought you were going to be excited or what you wanted to take, you, you, you're having doubts or I don't know, you're going through a personal thing or I, or you're having lack of self-confidence or, and then I would say to any entrepreneur, just dedicate those times to just work on yourself. Because there's nothing else. Then take the day off, take five days off, go to a retreat, go to hike, go to meditate, but don't don't work because the only work you can do really is work on yourself because you're not going to fix it otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's what I've learned. So every time I feel that way, Mm -hmm. I take time off Mm -hmm. to work on myself. And I I really try to incorporate working on myself a lot. Good for you. I want to lead into, and we'll have some questions um, if you have some questions, but I want to lead into kind of because you're talking about energy and 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 um, conserving that or you know resting when it's probably feels like it's time to quit, but you probably just need to take a couple of days off. What keeps you inspired to keep climbing? We've touched on it quite a bit, but I am so inspired. <laughs> And it wasn't always it wasn't always clear for you. You weren't always, uh, you know, able to have that self confidence and clarity on your vision mm-hmm. and stuff. So, what did that take, and what does that take now? Well, first of all, the fact that I have investors is a huge thing. I'm responsible. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna let them down. I mean, having all these family and friends invested in me that was has been one of the accountability. So, if anything, I want to make myself more accountable. I think one of the huge issues with entrepreneurs is that we're not accountable to anyone. And when we're not accountable and we have these friends and families that invested and, you know, I feel very responsible, but 
they were not, they didn't have a board and no one was expecting me. Like, it's like a little bit growing up as a, as, a, as a woman, as a woman in Chile. Like, great, you went to law school, but no one was expecting anything of you. Like, they were expecting you to get married and have kids. And like, mm. like no one is, ex- so in a way, it's kind of nice not to have those expectations, but I think the lack of accountability is not very good. It's not very positive. Mm. Now, this accountability has to be positive, right? From positive people. Not like, no, like, not people that like bring you down yeah. because that suck your energy. No, 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 no. So distinguish accountability with positive, energetic people that believe in you, surround with yourself, who you admire, that, that, you know, that, that, that really have your best interest that stand pull back, you up. Yeah. Pull you up, pull but you also up. you're so embarrassed of disappointing, so embarrassed. <laughs> you're like, I'm not going to disappoint this person, you know? Yeah, that, don't I know? <laughs> so I think that's... Um, that's a part of it. This, uh, the lack of accountability was a, a problem. Good. Last question-ish. There's someone listening to your incredible story today that is got that has this great idea that is starting out on that journey that I was on a few years ago, that you were on a few years ago, and they are really overwhelmed with what do I do next? Uh, you know, how do I take an idea to market successfully? How do I raise money? Should I be thinking about raising money like right now? Like any one of those pieces of just overwhelm, what do you, what do you have to say for or to that person listening? Well, I think the entrepreneurship journey is not for everyone. I don't think that we should say that it's for everyone. I mean, it's extremely difficult. You have to sacrifice so much of your personal life you have to you have to sacrifice everything for this. You meant you wanted to tell the story of how I almost got divorced, and I did almost get divorced because my husband wasn't supportive, and at the, I had to file. <laughs> we 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 made. Now he's extremely supportive. He understood that this was like not that I wasn't gonna non negotiable. It was non negotiable. But like, oh, oh my God, but a lot of women would have trouble with that. And I had trouble because... A lot of people. So yeah, any type of people. Yeah, yes. And so for you, it has to be something non-negotiable. And now, again, I tried two different other things before, you know, these events. Those were negotiable for me, obviously, because I didn't continue them. Like, you have to get to that thing, that that idea that you think, or, or that moment in your life in which you're much... I don't know if it's the idea or a combination of things, but you have to believe in, that what you're doing is relevant, right? Right. So um, I believe what I'm doing extremely relevant right now. Like I feel it's a huge market opportunity. I think there's a huge amount of money to be made. There's a huge amount of like help to provide with this. What I'm, it's like I, from all angles, it makes sense to me from all angles, right? Um, from my career perspective, from what all, all everything I wanted to empower minority. I mean, it's just make, it's a perfect storm of like, this is it. But um, you have to be willing to, you know, to, 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 to many things. You have to be willing to sacrifice everything. You have to be obsessed with what you're doing. I mean, let's face it, you have to be obsessed, boring. You're not going to have a lot of friends. You're not going to have a lot of time for social life. I mean, you have to make an effort, but I mean, you have to, this is your thing. I mean, I'm not saying how many, I mean, so to a young entrepreneur, I said, try it because you don't know, but you will fail. You will do things. The more you fail, the faster you fail. I mean, I, again, I wish I could have started this when I was 25. I would have failed three times. I would be done by now. But, you know, so fail, fail, fail. Go for it. 
But if at some point you decide this is not for it, not for you, then then it's fine. It's perfectly fine. And then you might come back to it in a different way. I think we're in a labyrinth. This thing of entrepreneurship is a labyrinth. So why not say that you know how to go in to the first step, but you have no idea where is the next turn and you have no idea where is the exit until you exit. So I just think that you have to do it and see where it takes you. I don't have an answer. I wish I did. That's a tweet right there. Entrepreneurship is a labyrinth. You know where the start is, but you have no idea (laughs) where the end is. I I think I feel zen just like thinking about it that way. No, No, it's it's couldn't it be better said. It, it helps me a lot because I'm like, it's not like I'm an idiot. It's like, this is how it is. Yeah. It's not, it's, That's right. It's how it is. And I think, um, but you, persistence. I mean, you've talked about this, hard work and persistence. I, I, don't, I don't know if there's any other secret to this. It's hard work and persistence. Hard work, I'm, 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 I'm persistence and hard work. <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't think that it's about being smart. Yeah. I don't think it's about anything. I just think this has been the most amazing story. I like <laughs> really, I mean, or inspiring. So inspiring. I think some really good advice and just, you know, the journey you've been on. Uh, you know, it's like every time I sit down, I feel like every time we sit down with like a guest, I'm always like, oh yeah, like it'll be fine. And then you're just like blown away <laughs> every time. She underestimates so, me all I the do. time. So does many investors. Bueno, I will tell for you, God's sake. Well, I will tell you one thing, Lisel. Yes, an ma'am. example. When I have money, you know, we, we all, right? When we yeah. all this community of when we all like become successful, I mean, there will be no I mean, if I knew you, if I had the money to invest, there would be no question I would be investing in you. Like, see, that's how it is. You know people and they know the persistent, they're hardworking. How, how would you and why wouldn't you invest that's in right. that person? Like it's crazy. That's like, right. Exactly. We as women though just have to build up that network. Cause you're right. There are the reason you can go into Silicon Valley and you know, you're this guy in a in your hoodie and you go and you raise money. But it's because you're part of the network, right? right. Part, for them, they're like, I get you. You're going to, I know exactly. you, great, go do it. And, and you're right, as we, as we do make our company successful and we have money, we'll be like, well, we have our networks. We're going to want to invest in them and, and build That's them right. up. No, so, you're both so right. So, yes, I mean, I, so I, I, I you know, I've, I've have a, I have other entrepreneurs that I know that are trying to make it. And I'm like, I'm like, I wish I had like, yeah. because I know they will sure. make it. I totally know. And no one is investing in them. And I, so the only thing we can do is continue to empower women to start successful companies so they can grow. And if you choose to get acquired or IPO or exit, whatever you choose to do, or just be very successful so that one day we can get this woman who startup global ecosystem to continue to funnel that back into the ecosystem to give every other woman a hand up. That's absolutely right. That, 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 that's, that, that's true. And we have to, we have to support each other. We have to invest in each other and we have to, Still have to collaborate more than ever before. Than ever. The, than before. ever before. It's a, it has to be a commitment to collaborate. And one yeah. one thing I realized so in the fundraising and in in life in general. In in and I know always been like this. And you know I've been guilty of sometimes feeling insecure and fearful of things. You know, but I think one thing is that once you come to a, to life with a with a um, feeling of abundance and really a feeling of abundance that like giving to someone and sharing with someone doesn't mean that it doesn't come to you, 
that you have this abundance mindset, like you start receiving. I don't know how, why it works. I, I mean, I still don't understand how it works and it cannot be artificial, but I, I do feel that is, that is very like that. So the more we help each other and the more that we give, we will receive it. Just, I, I, I'm not sure uh, what, how it works like that, but I think it has to do with the, an abundance mentality Gratitude. that you like, yeah. that you like sort of like um, maybe emanate. And so, I don't know, but it is about energy, but I think it's very important right now to be extremely, extremely, extremely helpful to each other. Excellent. Phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Women Who Start Up Radio. To learn more about Women Who Start Up, please visit womenwhostartup.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel inspired to share it everywhere and to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. Take care of yourselves, my friend. And as always, keep climbing. Keep climbing.